Croatia is the largest continent on the planet. And for many years, I think folks were misled at how big Asia was and that it's subdivided in different regions. The purpose of our podcast today, in conjunction with a number of um, artistic organizations, is to share with you a little bit more about Asian culture and the continent. Uh, we're going to start off by just talking about the Asian continent. You have North Asia, which includes the Russian Federation that's just below the Arctic Circle. You have uh, far, what we know as Far East Asia, that would be China on the mainland, North and South Korea, Japan in the Pacific Ocean, which is also near the Yellow Sea and the Sea of Japan. Then India is known as a subcontinent because three quarters of that country is surrounded by water. The Gulf of Oman, the Bay of Bengal, and you have other islands that are below it. Now it's known as South China because it's below the mainland of China and it's west of what we now call the Middle East. The Middle East is really Southwest China. And that comprises of Afghanistan, um, Pakistan, many of the other stands. They like to call them the five stands. And then you have Iran, and then you have Kuwait, Jordan, Iraq, Syria, Turkey, Lebanon, Israel. All of that makes up Southwest China. And then you have, at the end, Southeast China, which is below China and east of India. So that includes Burma, Vietnam, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, Malaysia, Singapore, all of those islands, the Philippines, they're all a part of Southeast Asia. So we wanted to kind of inform our audience about the breadth of the Asian continent. As you can now see, it's quite vast. And throughout the month of October, there were several art exhibitions at Met Breuer, at uh, the Guggenheim, at various galleries in Chelsea that was showcasing contemporary um, Southern uh, East Asian art. And so we are spotlighting all of those as well as contemporary Chinese art as well. Now we're going to hear from several presenters that were part of field meetings at Asia Contemporary Art Week that was held at Asia Society. And for our listeners, I have to recommend seeing the exhibition After Darkness, which is also at Asia Society. The first presentation is about Miss Hong Kong. feeds its selected winner, or the queen, into Miss Chinese International in Hong Kong. Uh, in beauty pageants, contestants draw numbers uh, that determines the order in which they come out onto the stage. Um, actually, uh, like ACAW, I'm the first to speak, and last year at the pageant, I was also drew number one, so I was the first to come out. 
What started as an investigative journalism project turned into extended performance on race and gender. Namely, what does it mean to, uh, me, what does it mean to act as the ideal of Chinese femininity in the Chinese diaspora? So all of this escalating to Miss Rufus International Project, the first iteration of what you see here behind me. The first iteration was an exhibition and series of programming, uh, which I co-curated with David Zhu Borgonyan, who is here today. Uh, the show was called In Search of Miss Ruthless. It took place at Parasite in Hong Kong, featuring 23 participating artists. These artists interpreted pageantry as a promise of mobility that both regulates and class and engenders ethnicity. Inspired by the media infrastructure that frames a pageant queen, In Search of Miss Ruthless also included archival documents and experimental audio guides to web projects focused on the visual identity of Miss Ruthless and the tenure of an experimental director of communications. This ruthless director of communications, Vivian Vivian Chin, also formed and created Ruthless Lantern, a gossip magazine that took the linguistic creativity from Hong Kong gossip rags to talk about issues concerning contemporary art. Those are from Vancouver. Uh, in the 1970s, Hong Kong saw the simultaneous rise of broadcast television and the formation of Miss Hong Kong, and later Miss Chinese International which incorporated overseas pageants, connecting the diaspora communities through mainstream culture into a larger network of Chinese people. In recent memory, Miss Hong Kong 2015, Louisa Mack, used her platform to support the umbrella movement. Young Chinese Americans in the 1960s accused the San Francisco-based Miss Chinatown pageant of Orientalism and looked to the PRC's Iron Girls as a model for productivist feminism. Included in our carnival section was a story about 1930s Shanghai-based actress, Wang Ying. So this is a painting by Xu Zhe Hong of Wang Ying for In Put Down Your Whip. Uh, this painting had been declared missing in 1954, only to turn up in Hong Kong in 2007. An anonymous collector bought the work for 9.2 million US dollars. That was the most expensive Chinese painting ever sold at that time. A Shanghai-based actress from the 1930s, Wang Yi made her first name, made her name, playing roles in films such as Goddess of Freedom, Sai Jinghua, and she won the latter role over the future Madame Mao, uh, who would later persecute her during the Cultural Revolution. Another Shanghai-based actress from the 1930s, Rang Ling Yu, stated, starred in New Woman. Uh, this is her behind me a silent film that was released in February of 1935. This is the work she is known for. She plays an educated woman forced to death by an unfeeling society. The film is based on the life of another silent film actress who had committed suicide the year before. This was in the 1930s, a time when the idea of the film star came into being. A time when the establishment of beauty pageants in Shanghai and Hong Kong. This was when the Shanghai Monghua Airport was opened, which later was served by the Hong Kong Airways, there's little difference between being a starlet, an actress, and a sex worker at that time. Many people try their chances in beauty pageants as a chance of class mobility, and it still is in many ways a form of that to kind of present your bachelor eligibility to a wealthier male elite. Uh, the only difference now is that that um, ability to jump classes is actually much more narrow. Uh, Miss Hong Kong, for example, requires a star reference letter, only except women under the age of 26, Marital status single, and the contestant must not have ever been pregnant before. They tend to select contestants with elite educations, members of high society. 
back in 1935, in just one month after the premiere of New Women, Rowling Yu herself also commits suicide. Reportedly, she had written a suicide note that had read, Gossip is a fearful thing. Her funeral procession was three miles long and had at least 300,000 people in it. Three women committed suicide during that event, and every paper in Shanghai wrote a memorial to her, and the New York Times described it as the most spectacular funeral of the century. These systems of manufactured competition had turned uh, women into automatons, dolls that fulfill the role of hospitality. Um, yet, as many say about technology, that system could possibly be neutralized. Rumor does not have to kill. So what I propose is actually this Miss Ruthless International. It could be a pageant, a network of artists, of researchers, curators. Um, it was born in Parasite with the exhibition and can be carried forward through different iterations in different places. Um, it would follow what pageants already do, which is to internationalize. Miss Ruthless International could be a union of sorts and a discursive platform that takes up the methods of gossip for better means. The extended search for Miss Ruthless extends that space for collaboration. Uh, usually, Miss Friendship or Miss Congeality is chosen through a secret ballot uh, with the contestants. Um, that's behind the stage. And you know, so instead of actually holding this vote, Miss Ruthless could basically extend that period of friendship um, and for people to kind of work together. And I guess in searching for contestants, the search first started in Hong Kong. Um, as a note, in 2001, there were very few fine art students in Hong Kong. There reportedly there were 12 that graduated. Um, and now, last year in 2016, there's like a few hundred, maybe up to 500. About 72% of those people are women. Uh, you don't see this reflected in the contemporary art world of Hong Kong. Um, and yet, so where do those people go? And uh, in talking to different professors, people have done studies, um, tracing kind of fine art students in Hong Kong, it turns out that what's actually quite popular is to become a flight attendant. Um, little known fact, there was a dozen flight people who became, who graduated last year in fine arts and actually became flight attendants. The most desirable being Cathay Pacific, as you know, a very fancy elite airline. The second being Dragon Air, and then it, you know things just kind of become not so desirable. And falling actually with Cathay Pacific, it also depends what route you fly, and the most desirable route also, fittingly, is to New York. Second would be the UK and Germany, um, and of course, actually, um, Southeast Asia, not desirable at all. So as you see, I mean, this whole kind of pageant network of the flight network um, follows the geopolitical map. So Marie-Pierre Boucher had once written, in the context of global mobility today, Information, bodies, and goods circulate the globe and even further into outer space. However, we face a paradigm. The more we move, the more we become sedentary. The modes of transportation that enable our global mobility are working against us, insidiously lessening our psychophysical mobility. The development of mobile architecture, cars, planes, and recreational vehicles, among others, is mischievously giving rise to a stationary society. We are in a society whose inhabitants travel across the globe in the stationary comfort of a car or a plane, of a sofa or a bed. Globalization is thus, at least in part, the world becoming immobile.
person resonates with a particular form of isolation. No one wants to be, for example, stuck in one conversation on a commute. Yet these two things have a lot in common. Conversation and commute are both work and uh, not work. It's also not not work. Um, the things that often being, you know, that you can consider conversation a node in the production chain. But uh, however, there's no relationship, economic or not, that cannot occur without exchange of words. Gabriel Tard had written, even when a traveler exchanges products with islanders whose language he does not know, these swaps only take place through the means of signs and gestures which are in the form of language. In addition, how do these needs for production and consumption, for sales and purchases, which have just been mutually satisfied by trade, concluded thanks to conversation arise? Most often, thanks again to conversations, which have spread the idea of a new product to buy or to produce from one interlocutor or another, and along with this idea, has spread trust into the qualities of the product or its forthcoming output, and finally, the desire to consume and you manufacture it. There is no manager more powerful than consumption, nor as a result, any factor more powerful, though indirect, in production than the chatter of individuals in their idle hours. So as the necessary conditions for sentimentality, ruthlessness is the unrelenting fighting spirit in a field of emotional undoing. It is what allows for sentimentality to endure, and its ruthless stance between right and wrong, mainstream and populist, Ruthlessness and what we search for in this pageant is the antidote for those who hold marginalized positions in society to interpret social life. Perhaps the search for Miss Ruthless can also hold spaces for a queer life and illuminate histories of invisible labor. As pageants are perceived as apolitical spaces, they allow for prototyping of alternative forms of political participation. As you know, there's no, no one's really safe on a plane if they're smelling some water. Uh, contemporary artists explore moments of political connotation in beauty pageant history as strategies for highly competitive art worlds that they occupy. Formally, beauty pageants are an infrastructure that rehearses political elections. In the selection process, pageantry can feel like a spectacular eugenics project, yet it is not governed by a process of natural selection. are judged on their ability to appear as if they seamlessly inhabit the modes of performance required by broadcast television. So following the ruthlessness of Wang Yi, Roman Yu, Louisa Mack, young Chinese Americans in the 1960s, how do we form a form of gossip that can be feared? In thinking of how to strengthen networks of a Miss Ruthless International, how do we create forms of psychophysical mobility through the premise of gossip, which is formed under an infrastructure, not representation? Following poet Helen Suzu, what if she were alive? What if, in looking at her, we animated? second presentation will also feature Hong Kong and a virtual museum that they 
have right now but they hope to turn into a brick and mortar location. Engagement is a core part of what we do. We need to build our audience base, we need to build an informed audience base. And in that sense we've been working through a series of exhibitions while waiting for walls. And actually it's quite nice not having walls to be able to be mobile. This is one of the mobile ex exhibitions that we did called Inflation. Um, but also working with other forms. We now have on the site a pavilion, the name M plus pavilion, and what I mean by site is on the West Kowloon site. And the pavilion was inaugurated by uh, a presentation of the major Hong Kong artist, Duncan Hua, who um, had returned from, it was his return presentation from the Venice Biennale. But we have, since we've opened the pavilions, uh, presented five exhibitions a broad selection of entrants, and all of them coming out of the collection in one form or other, and this is the most recent. MPLUS also collaborates with the Hong Kong Arts Development Council to co-present the Hong Kong Venice Pavilion. Right now we have Samson Young, but this is our, and that's our third presentation, but we had, we presented Lee Kit and Zhang Kinwan. Part of thinking a project like M Plus was to also develop a pedagogic platform like the M Plus Matters um, and M Plus Keynotes. These are um, these are ongoing, really important symposia where we work with scholars on particular topics to help develop our positioning and thinking. The M Plus Rover. Uh, very important part of our pedagogic platform is to reach out to the community and this is a traveling creative studio. We work with uh, an artist or a designer or an architect every semester and they go out to all the primary and secondary schools and community centers across Hong Kong over a year. Um, it is a targeted, bespoke program for our student community and adult community. And as a museum, it's very important, I think, for our future audiences to come to be told about the work of M+. We have a summer camp, over 100 students every year um, come together to work with eight educators on what does it mean to be in Hong Kong um, relating and intersecting with contemporary visual culture. So lastly, I wanted to talk about the location and the districts because it matters that this is taking place in this, in this particular location. Um, 40 hectares of reclaimed land on Victoria Harbour. A master plan developed by British architect Norman Foster and a principle of that master plan is all infrastructure for road and transport sits under ba in the basement and the ground level is solely for pedestrian access. 
um, on the eastern end of the, uh, of the site um, is a kind of development that reflects a sense of the density of Hong Kong's street alleyways and, and street culture. And then on the western end is the park. Two MTR stops, Austin and Carlin Street Station, the latter connecting up into the airport expressway. A whole, um, the bus stops, again, very important part of Hong Kong connectivity. The fast rail link into the mainland and ferry stops. Knowing that in Hong Kong, the majority of people, over 82%, do not own cars and use an incredibly developed public transport system. The building itself, designed by a Pritzker prize-winning Swiss architect firm, Herzog and de Buren, and in every sense and, um, embodies a certain spirit of M+. So I'm showing you the under construction of M+, right now. Um, and it is under construction well under construction and it is one of the largest museums being built in the world today. 65,000 square meters of museum. Um, the podium, the flat podium surface holding all of the museum functions, uh, special exhibition spaces, a learning center, cinemas, three cinemas, a media cake, um, and the blade, the tower containing the archives, library, office facilities, as well as, um, you know, our, our own office spaces. I'm showing you the most recent animations from Herzog and de Muren of our entrance spaces, just so that you get a sense of what the museum is looking like. And in true Herzog and de Muren style, an angular cutaway in what looks like a very symmetrical building providing light and necessary orientation. It's a very beautiful abstract geometry. And then finally, um, the podium level with access into the gallery spaces. Um, and plus, as I said, we'll have, you know, a 65,000 square meter footprint includes 15, thousand square meters of display space um, for special exhibitions. But we also have a collection and storage facility and a conservation facility. We now have a staff cohort in place of just on 80. Um, and very importantly that we began recruiting professional staff with in-depth museum knowledge of the region and this in it's, it's a very important thing to say right up front because it has enabled the museum to develop and build the collections that it has. Finally, my last slide, I wanted to end with an image of our LED screen, which is 65 meters by 110 meters wide, capable of dis uh, displaying digital and moving image art, befitting a 21st century museum that the museum was designed with a feature like this is, is really to amplify and exemplify the sense of M plus ambition. It is a museum for today and the future. 
and as a new contemporary medium, it is necessarily a consciously um, evolving entity. It is responsive to and even creates a milieu in which contemporary visual culture um, must be founded in Asia and it looks out from Hong Kong. It embraces innovation. It has engaged with artists already. It is working with makers and audiences. And I know it is already in the imaginations of people because when I speak to them, they tell me about Inplus. And that is without a building. So the fact that it is active and, and alive and that it already exists virtually in so many other spaces, I think, makes the project itself a necessary one for Asia, but also a necessary one for the world, because it is so alive in our minds. Thank you. So we want to thank all of the various organizations that we were working with, Asia Contemporary Art Week, Asia Society, the Guggenheim Gallery, Leilong uh, in Chelsea for working with us as they celebrate Asia Contemporary.